beginning of the year. Uh, our elders, we decided some time ago that one of the things we wanted to do here towards the beginning of every year was to, as best we possibly could, bring a few of our missionaries, whether overseas or domestic. This year just happens to be three domestic guys uh, in quick succession three weeks in a row, all RUF campus ministers. Um, Gavin Breeden was here last week, Austin Royal uh, from Austin P. State University just down the street uh, is uh, here today. Um, some of you may not know the uh, very brief history of the ministry there at Austin P. Uh, this is really Austin's only his second year, really, I guess you could say your first year of really getting going. Uh, so it's very young, uh, this ministry down the street there. I would argue it's one of the best things Austin P. has going, that and the football team. Um, so uh, we're thrilled uh, that he and his family are here. Awesome. As you're making your way up here, uh, let me just give you one way you can be praying for him uh, in the coming weeks. I don't know if you're going to mention this in the message. Uh, Austin is right on the cusp of finishing that ordination process. One thing he has yet in front of him, and that is the floor exam at Presbytery on Tuesday, February 13th. So everything else is behind him. That's a lot Believe you me, as Luke could well attest to, that's all freight train behind him, but he's not quite done yet. So, may God be merciful. All right, awesome. Yeah. Glad you're here. Thanks. Thanks, Richard. Uh, yeah, you can pray that my Valentine's Day is not ruined. <laughs> if the 13th goes poorly, then... Um, yeah, thank you for having me here this morning. I'm the campus minister at Austin P. Been here a year and a half. I uh, really enjoy the work there, and I uh, also want to thank the AIM team for their generous service at our house yesterday. They did an awesome job, really helped us out with the deck, and um, yeah, they were great, so we're really thankful for them and their efforts. Uh, this morning, we're going to talk about Psalm 139, so if you want to turn in your Bibles there, uh, this is a psalm that... Uh, I think it's pretty familiar. Uh, we recognize multiple verses in this passage. Uh, but it's often equated with the idea of God's sovereignty and providence in our lives, which I think is fair, uh, but I also think it misses the point just a little bit. I know I'm splitting hairs here, but this is much more about this an intimate relationship with a God who knows you very deeply and is always present with you. And I think too often when we talk about sovereignty or the providence of God, those are conversation enders. We say, oh, God is sovereign at the end of conversation, and it stops. As if, like, we're just, we say, this is who God is. Um, he's got it. And we don't think about it. We don't really think about what it means. And this passage forces us to think about what does it mean that God is sovereign and providential in your life? And it's not big, abstract ideas. It is extremely personal. Uh, so, with that in mind, uh, let me read the passage this morning. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and know my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. 
Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you form my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God! O men of blood, depart from me! They speak against me with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is beautiful. And we know it is beautiful and we see it as beautiful and yet it is very hard to believe. And we thank you for your word that you have written and laid out who you are in it to us. Uh, because no one could come up with this on their own. Um, but because of that, Lord, it makes it hard to believe. And so I pray that you would speak very clearly to us who you are to us, your power, your reign, your control in our lives, and very much your presence. Uh, make those things real to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so I've entitled this sermon, You With Me and Me With You, but what I could have entitled it, maybe should have, was Breaking through the casual. Uh, acquaintances, casual relationships, we kind of all know how those work. Uh, they're people you kind of know, but don't really. They're people you really enjoy, but you only enjoy them for five minutes, and that's the interaction you have with them. Um, but you know how this goes. You meet someone, friend of a friend, at a party, uh, at a gathering, and you hit it off with them. And you may have a 30-minute conversation, an hour-long conversation, um, but throughout it, y'all just click. The conversation goes, topics change, and everything just flows easily. It's so easy to connect with these people, with this person, um, and you enjoy it, and you promise to hang out. You say, we got to do this. we got to get to know each other. Um, but so you get their number. You try to hang out. It doesn't work out. Uh, and... Eventually, uh, nothing materializes in the friendship. But the thing is, you do keep running into them. You'll see them random places. And in the five minutes you see them, it's kind of like it was the first time you met them. It's easy, it's fun, it's enjoyable. Um, but the reality is, is you don't know them, and they don't know you. Um, 
Sometimes you may drop their name in another conversation and say, oh yeah, they're great. Talking to somebody else, they're great. I, I really like them. The reality is you still don't know them. And here's the thing. Casual relationships aren't necessarily bad. Um, the reality is you can't know everybody. Uh, you're going to have casual relationships. The problem is if, if all your relationships are casual. That's a problem. Um, and the reality is if we think about God in terms of a casual relationship, it doesn't work. Um, I think a lot of people think Christianity is about showing up to church on Sunday mornings and spending an hour with God. We come here, we worship, we share some common interests, uh, we share some enjoyable time together, and then we go throughout our day, throughout our week, and we forget about God. We don't meet with Him. We don't move towards Him. Um, and the thing is, a casual relationship with God cannot work. It cannot work because of a passage like this in Psalm 139 that says, there is nothing casual about God's relationship with you. Nothing casual. Uh, he continues to move towards you in ways that no one else in the world does. Knowing, caring, knowing intimate details, being present in intimate moments. He is there. Um, and that is where we're going this morning. Um, this psalm is highly relational. And at the same time, it talks about God's sovereignty. It talks about his power, his providence. He's this all-knowing, all-powerful, all-everywhere God. And we can look at it from the 30,000-foot view, flying in a plane, and the psalmist says, no, you have to come down. I'm going to land this plane at your front porch. I'm going to show you what it looks like for God to be the sovereign Lord of the universe in your life. So we're going to look at three things. God knows everything. He knows everything about you. God is everywhere. He is everywhere with you. And then the way everlasting. So first, God knows everything. He knows everything about you. Look at these first five verses. Uh, it starts with the past tense. You've searched and you've known something that's already happened. You know when I sit down, when I rise up. You know what I ate for breakfast this morning. You know my thoughts, the words that are about to come off my mouth. You know the path I walk. You know the road I travel to work every morning. You've known the past and you've known the present. Think about this. He's describing this God who's all-knowing, which leads to the reality of he is all-powerful, and yet he knows you. He holds the world in the palm of his hand, and he knows you. Um, he's also saying something else. Um, this knowledge, it's not just floating around. It's attached to something, to someone. It's attached to you. The psalmist is saying, God knows, he knows, he knows, he knows, he knows you. God knows you. There's nothing casual about this. If you jump ahead to probably the most famous verses in this text, you form my inward parts, you knit me together in my mother's room. My frame was not hidden from you when it was being intricately woven in the depths of the earth. You saw my unformed substance. Um, think about that for a moment. God was with you before you even existed. He saw you before you even existed. Let that blow your mind and then come back to the text. He knows and he cares. Um, 
Knowing is important for any relationship. If you don't know someone, you cannot love them well. If you don't know their needs, you don't know what's been going on in their life, you cannot love them well. Um, you have to be able to communicate, to share life, shared experiences, to really know how to love someone well. And the text is saying God has searched you, and he knows. Not, not like an airport security guard, TSA, a cop, who comes up, roughs you up a little bit, touches places he had no business touching, and then leaves. No, it's, it's much more like a parent with a newborn baby who knows every curve, every skin tone, every cry, every sound, every moment of hunger, every need, every moment of happiness. He knows and he cares. You've been searched and known, and you've been searched and known by the living God. Um, and the reason he searches and knows you so well is because he loves you. And he caters his love to you through that knowledge. He does not use it against you. I think too often we believe that. Um, so on the one hand, this is absolutely beautiful uh, and blows our minds. And on the other hand, this scares us to death because in the same train of thought, uh, the same breath, this strikes, this knowledge strikes fear in our hearts because we long to be known and yet we run from it at the same time. We long to be known by God. We long to be known by each other, and yet we run from it. We hide. We have mastered the soul-starving way of hiding. Uh, and here's why. We, we've learned it's easier uh, to not put yourself out in the open. It's easier to not be vulnerable. It's easier to not open up. It doesn't hurt as bad. And so we hide. And we hide <coughs> um, because we don't want people to know us, even though your soul longs to be known. Uh, it's weird. It's sin in our own hearts. Um, the thing is, uh, there's a quote, it's in your quotes and notes, uh, by Paul David Tripp. He says this, uh, The most personal and intimate parts of our lives fly under the radar, radar of our typical relationships in the body of Christ. We live super busy lives, with activity-based friendships punctuated only by brief, shallow, shallow conversations with each other. Every week we sit across from friends who don't really know us. It's casual. Friends that don't know anything about us, and yet we see them and interact with them all the time. Um, but they don't know the pains that we're dealing with. They don't know the suffering we're dealing with. They don't know what happened last week, last year. Uh, the psalmist is calling us. We have to break out of the casual with each other and with God. And the thing is, if you don't do it with God, you won't do it with anybody else. If you do not know God loves you and accepts you for who you are, you're not going to feel open and willing to be vulnerable with other people. The gospel is fundamental to this, that you are accepted in Christ. God loves you for who you are. Uh, yeah, it's fundamental to this text. Um, So, and that's the thing, if you know that you're loved by the sovereign Lord of the universe, it allows you, it frees you uh, to open up into other relationships. Um, but uh, moving on to the second point with uh, God is uh, all present. He's everywhere with you. Uh, 
as mentioned earlier, no one really combines these two things. Uh, either God is all-powerful and he doesn't care about you, or God is everywhere. He's with everyone, but he's not really all-powerful. He's not really God. Um, so Christianity combines these two things in a perfect unity. Um, and what we realize is the main point of Scripture, yes, is God's redeeming love in Jesus, but the means to it is relationship with you, presence. Think about this. All of Scripture starts out in a garden. God with us in the garden. Uh, man sins, and God builds a tabernacle to be in the city with the people. He tabernacles with them. Uh, Jesus comes in the flesh to dwell with his people, to tabernacle with his people. It ends up in Revelation where the city of God comes down from heaven, and it's God with his people. The point of Scripture is God's presence with you. And it only comes through the redeeming love of Jesus Christ and his death on a cross for us. But look at this. Look at what the psalm, psalmist has to say about God's presence. Verses 7 through 11. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your spirit, your presence? If I ascend to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not too bright for you. Everywhere you go, God is present. Presence that's true, presence that's real, um, but isn't necessarily felt. Uh, or, just the same, isn't acknowledged. But think about this. Uttermost parts of the sea, this breeds an image of distance, separation, loneliness. Loneliness that no one cares about except God. Lord, if I escape on the wings of the morning, if I try to escape the responsibilities of my day, the hardships that it will bring, the stress and anxiety that it brings, Lord, you know, and you're there with me in the thick of it. Lord, if the morning brings loneliness, the same old feeling of loneliness, being forgotten, no one cares. You are there and your hand holds me. Your hand holds me tightly. Lord, if the darkness covers me, if despair is my only friend, if depression and darkness is the only thing I know, you are there with me. You bring a light to that area. Even if it's the tiniest ray of light, you bring it into my mind and heart. Lord, help me know that. Help me know your presence. Um, what you see is the psalmist moving in the direction of a relationship with God. Not casual, but recognizing God is there and the hardest, the best, the most loneliest, the darkest moments of his life. Some of the most comforting words anyone could ever say to you is, you are not alone. You are not alone in whatever it could be. A presence in the room changes everything. And God says, I am there with you always. Every second of every day, my presence is with you. Um, we have a little baby girl named Lindley. She's nine months old. Uh, when she was three months old, she would sit in a room and be totally fine. And then all of a sudden start crying. Um, for no reason. That's what babies do. Um, but the thing is, we would be in the room with her. And 
we would go and pick her up. And as soon as we picked her up, she'd stop crying. Her world would move from fear and chaos for whatever reason. And when we went and picked her up, it changed. It changed her world. Even though we were there five seconds before. We were in the same room. The fact that she knew we were with her changed her world. Um, similarly, uh, a couple weeks ago, we actually spent a few days in the hospital because Lindley was sick. Um, she had an abscess growing in the back of her throat. She wasn't eating, um, wasn't uh, able to turn her neck, wasn't talking, but she didn't talk anyways. Um, but So we had to go to the hospital, and there were a lot of hard moments. She was in a lot of pain. Um, it was very obvious she was in a lot of pain. And as much as I would have liked her to have wanted me to be that powerful presence, it was her mother. Uh, there were so many moments where she was uncomfortable, she was crying, and she needed the arms of her mother. And it was the arms of her mother, the only thing that would calm her down. Uh, Anna Cowan would try and get a break and pass her off to me, and she would cry until Anna Cowan came back. Why do you think that is? You think, I mean, I'm not a distant father. Not, 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 not yet, at least. Um, but Lindley, in spite of her lack of understanding of the world and the ability to think through things and fully understand it, she knows who nourishes her. She knows who cares for her. Whether it's smell or sight or whatever, she knows the arms of her mother are different than the arms of anybody else. And so even in the midst of this traumatic hospital experience, she finds a calm in the arms of her mother. And here's the thing. In the arms of her mother, nothing changes about her circumstances. She still has bacteria growing in the back of her throat, and it causes her to cry every time she moves. She still is not eating. She's losing weight. Uh, her face is bloated, and yet she's able to find peace in the arms of her mother, the presence of her mother. Um, when God makes his presence known to you, when you acknowledge it, sometimes nothing changes except for you know he's there with you. Sometimes everything changes. Sometimes he takes away the suffering, the hardship, but sometimes he doesn't. And he teaches us it's a matter of relationship and presence. You should delight in the presence of the Lord even in the midst of pains, sufferings, heartaches, uh, which Richard was speaking of at the beginning of the service. Um, it's a matter of knowing God comes in and he holds you. Sometimes it doesn't take anything away except for knowing you're not alone. Um, I think this is hard for us because we think if God loved us, if God cared, he would take the pain and suffering out of our life. And the reality is that the Bible just doesn't teach that. Um, what it does teach is a powerful God who loves you and cares for you and promises his presence with you. Um, so I think, um, what do we do with this, I guess? In thinking about a casual relationship with God, um, one of the reasons suffering and hardship is so hard for us is because I think we have a casual relationship with God. Um, when hard things happen, when we fail, uh, lose a job, fail a test, miss a promotion, um, disease comes, uh, 
marriage issues, fatal diagnoses, we think this is God abandoning us and leaving us. And it's actually a moment where God wants us to come and fall down at his knees and on our knees and know him, know his presence, know his love for us. Um, too often those situations cause us to run away from God when in fact they should lead us to our loving Father. Um, and I think these, these type of situations show us where our casual relationship, it just crumbles. It crumbles. Um, and I think there's a reason for that. The psalmist knows something we don't. Or at least he celebrates something that we just don't celebrate. Uh, look at verses 6 and 17 and 18. He says this, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. And then he goes, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. The psalmist is in awe of God. He's in awe of this God who he knows but doesn't know fully, who he understands but does not understand fully. Uh, he sees how small he is in view of God. He knows he's not God. He knows he's not in control, and he's okay with it. Somewhere in his life, the psalmist found contentment in being a humble servant with childlike faith who knew this God cares about me and loves me and knows me, and I cannot fully understand what he does and why he does it, but I'm going to trust him. Look at, look, I think, I would love to say the main point of this psalm is verse 18 when he says, if I could count your knowledge, your understanding of things, it's more than I can understand, and yet, when I awake, I'm still with you. You with me and me with you. It's, not, it's no longer, hey, God's with me. It's this change where he acknowledges, no, you're with me. Me with you and you with me. Um, I think it's faith. It's breaking through the casual, um, moving towards God in relationship with him. And here's the thing, casual relationships. What happens when someone crosses the line of a casual relationship? What happens when someone finally takes the initiative to say, no, I'm actually really going to get to know you. We're actually going to do this. We're going to become friends. You start opening up. You start asking harder questions, deeper questions. One of two things happens. It doesn't stay the same. Either you go all in and you get to know them, or you run away from them. Those are the only things you, things you do. It doesn't stay casual. You either go all in and get to know them, or you run away from them. And I think knowing God is not casual. He continues to move towards us. We're doing one or the other. We're either running away or we're going all in. Um, and obviously, God calls us to go all in. Um, I think one of the things that helps us go all in, the only way it does, is the cross of Jesus. It is stamped on this psalm. The life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, is stamped on this psalm because what happens is we see this psalm became alive, grew two feet and walked on earth for some 30-odd years, and lived this out. Jesus knowing the thoughts of the people around him, understanding details of their lives that they, he, he shouldn't have known. Jesus present, walking through the joyful moments, the hard moments, the dark moments, 
with people. We see this psalm became alive and walked on earth. Um, and what we ultimately see is him dying for us. That's how we know this psalm is real, because we look at Jesus. Uh, we see the truth of it in his life, um, which leads to the last point, the way everlasting. What is the way everlasting that the psalmist prays about? It's, it's life lived before the face of God, in the presence of God, from now on throughout eternity. That's what Jesus has brought. He's purchased for us. Um, but first, real quick, before I end with that, I've got to address the elephant in the room, which is verses 19 through 22. A lot of hate and anger. Um, I don't know if you call it that. But what are these verses doing in this passage? Uh, I'm going to suggest a couple of things. One, it's like we could say, okay, there's wickedness, there's evil, rape, pillaging, all these things that are bad. And the psalmist just takes the side of God and says, okay, these are bad. God thinks they're bad, so I'm going to say they're bad. Um, but I think here's another option. What would it be like to be so convinced of your intimate connection with God and God's intimate connection with you that an assault on you is an assault on God? And an assault on God is an assault on you. Wicked men trying to destroy this intimate relationship. I think we understood that, we might respond differently to the evil around us. Um, another way to think about it is all this wickedness, suffering, um, rape, pillaging, whatever, uh, it makes this really hard to believe. And the psalmist knows that. He knows that when we read this and we look at the world around us, we read the news, we think, man, this is really hard to believe. And the psalmist hates that because he knows it keeps us from God. And so he speaks out against it. He speaks out against the, the things that would destroy this relationship we have with God. Um, but here's the thing. He doesn't just point the finger out there. Uh, look at the verse 23. After all this talk about anger and hatred towards enemies of the Lord, he points the lens at himself. You see that? Verse 23, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. He doesn't just point the finger out there. He points it at himself. Um, he doesn't just pass the judgment out there. He looks at himself. And I think the way everlasting, remember this. What's the way everlasting? It's redeeming love, purchasing, uh, purchased through Christ, a life lived in the presence of God. Something that began in the Garden of Eden ends in the book of Revelation, is a reality for us now in Jesus, um, but ultimately the reality of redeeming love is God's presence with us, this perfect knowledge and understanding of us. Um, if we pray this psalm, can we pray it? Can you honestly pray with integrity this psalm? Search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. I think if we're honest with ourselves, we, we can't. Um, we can't pray it in and of ourselves. Uh, we can't say, Lord, look at my inner thought life. Look at the things I've dwelled on for the last week. Uh, look at the actions I've done. Um, look at the motives behind those actions. I think if we pray this psalm, we're exposed. Uh, and we need a Savior in the midst of that exposure.
The thing is, the way everlasting is not through us and our actions. The way everlasting is through Jesus and his actions. This perfect righteousness that we're given through faith in Jesus because of his perfect life lived and death given for us. Uh, Jesus calls us to live in the way everlasting, and that way is through him. It's a life lived before the face of God, in the presence of God, fully known and loved and cared for, even though you were still a sinner, but you've been given the righteousness of Christ. That's the gospel, and that's what we see through Jesus in this psalm. He lived it out for us, and he leads us to the way everlasting. Uh, I'll close with this. Children are like all of us. They want to be known. Uh, they want to be cared for. They want to be understood. And so they go for their parents for everything. They want their parents to come and look at everything they've done, to acknowledge what they've done. Um, and children feel known because their parents give them attention. Uh, they pay attention to them. And here's the thing. There's a reason for that. This wanting to be known and, and feeling known, and that comes from you giving them your face. Children know they're known and loved when you give them your face. When they come up to you with this coloring sheet that they've colored, saying, look, look, look. Uh, when they're playing with this car, these cars and they say, hey, come over here and play with me, or at least come and look what I've done. Look how I drive this, or, this around. Uh, they know they're loved and cared for when you give them your, your face. When your eyes see them and light up, uh, when there's joy in your face, a smile, compassion, and love, when they've hurt themselves and they run to you and you give them the presence of your face, they know they're loved and cared for then. If they call to you and you stay in the other room, if they call to you and you turn your head for a moment and then go on with your day, they do not know that. They cannot know it. It's the presence of your face that changes everything, and that's what God gives us. He gives us the presence of his face. When we ask for it, when we acknowledge it, it changes us. We feel loved and cared for. Um, it's here where we should live and stay, the way everlasting life, live being known by God before the face of God. Um, let's pray.